0: Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. Perhaps the most well-known Bible verse is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whomsoever shall believe in him may not perish, but may have everlasting life. This love is the central element of the nativity story, and God's love features prominently in our stories and songs this time of year. But how can we even begin to fathom God's unfathomable, never-ending love? In this week's message from the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, Pastor David Cartwright focuses on understanding this love and how we can access it throughout our lives. As we go to our message today, Let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us.
1: Would you turn in your scripture to Romans chapter 5, we'll be reading there. That's New Testament, uh, not Kings, Romans, and Countrymen. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So you know where to find it. Romans chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Would you hear now God's word? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and a perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God in these moments. May your Holy Spirit abide so richly in our midst that our hearts and our minds are fully given to you. I pray Lord for the direction and the power of your Holy Spirit to speak the words of your truth. To speak them in simplicity. In love with grace so that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we experience now we give only to you the praise and the glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. As we come to this last Sunday of Advent we uh, come to the last of the traditional themes of the Advent season. Um, As I've said In the previous weeks it just seems like one of those years when it feels good to get back to uh, basics and to just remind ourselves that the anticipation of the Lord's coming truly offers us some things that we can uh, really stand upon in the midst of a difficult time we've visited some of those themes peace joy hope and we kind of pull it all together today to consider the, uh, the highest of God's characteristics, uh, the characteristic of love. And it's love that uh, Paul uses here in Romans 5 to kind of pull all of that together. The, the Book of Romans is a masterful treatise, if you will, of the uh, doctrine of doctrines of the Christian faith. Up to this point in Romans, Paul has kind of laid some foundation uh, and, and basically, to just kind of put that out uh, there 's a foundation of how that, that really, when you come down to it, God treats everybody the same, like you, you don 't have different ways of coming to God, whether you 're a Jew or a Gentile that if you find a person who who lives righteously uh, it doesn't matter whether that righteousness has uh, been instructed from a law written on the stone or just law written that's written upon the hearts The fact that whether you're Jew or Gentile, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the way that we are reconciled to God has nothing to do with uh, whether or not you have some law written on stone, but it's simply by faith in what God has done for you. So it's not what we've done, it's what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, and through Him, through Jesus Christ, He brings all of us together at the foot of the cross, and we are made right by our faith. In him. And so Paul comes to this point and talks about how we are being justified by faith and what we have through that. And as he gets into this passage, he kind of revisits, if you will, those f- themes that we've hit on in the last three weeks. He says in verse 1 that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ peace, things that are made right. Things weren't right between us and God, things have been made right between us and God. And you know how nice it is when you have a sense of peace, when you have a a, a knowledge of knowing that if there's tension between one party and another, that that tension is broken and and things are resolved. And so we can have that sense of peace within us, knowing that we are made right with God. He says in verse 2, "...through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, we exult in hope." Now the wording there might be different depending on the translation of the Bible that you're reading. That word in which my translation uses as exalt might be rejoice, it might be celebrate, it might be another word that's like that. The word really means to boast in, to take pride in something. And Paul is saying that that we are stand up and you could almost imagine, if you will, the chest that gets puffed out a little bit. He, he's celebrating, he is being confident in the fact that we have hope in God. And so it kind of touches, if you will, on, on joy, because, you know, to have joy, to rejoice is, is to have confidence to celebrate something. And so he's talking about the joy that we have, and also that we have it in hope, which means that we look forward to the fact that God is still at work, and we're anticipating that God is still doing things. You pull all of those things together, And it's grounded in something, of course, we have to get out to verse 5 before he touches on it, but it's that love of God that pulls all those things together. Now, peace, joy, hope, all gifts from God. Do we always feel them? Well, to varying degrees, maybe. And we have to confess, as we've said before, that maybe at times in your life you don't feel the, the, the perfect peace that you'd like to feel. Maybe at times in your life you don't feel as joyful as what you would like. Maybe at times you feel like your hope isn't as vibrant as you would like for it to be. And all of those things simply come out of our human condition. We're human, we're broken, and so we're, we're given over to not feeling what, all that we have the capacity to feel when God is working in us. But when we do, it is because God has lifted us up beyond our human experience and filled us with something that is transcendent. And peace and joy and hope all have that transcendent quality about them, which simply means that they can ride, they they can bring us above our circumstances. We We can be at peace inwardly even when the circumstances around us aren't peaceful. We can have joy inwardly, even when the circumstances wouldn't dictate it. We can have hope in the future, even though, just looking outwardly, you know, the circumstances might not look very hopeful. All of those things are God's gift to us that, that, that raise us up. And God will give us those things as part of our, human, uh, part of our experience as Christians. To get there, though, Paul, Paul moves into a, 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 into a dynamic that's not part of our natural human experience where he says in verse 3 that not only this, but we also exalt or rejoice or celebrate, whatever your translation may say, in our tribulations. Now there are places in the Scripture where you go, that's not a normal human response. Now, James is another one of those places where you know he says, "Consider it joy when you suffer, you know, various kinds of trials." And we think we don't, we don't usually, you don't usually, you know, you're not usually happy when troubles come, are you? You know, we, you know, you know, another trial of life. That's you don't hear people saying that, but the Scripture prescribes these kinds of things because. The authors understand that there is a capacity for God to do something extraordinary through those circumstances. Listen to the way that Paul develops this, and it's really kind of easy to to follow. We exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. It's a strengthening, strong. It's kind of like, you know, what do you do to make your muscles bigger? You work them, don't you? One of the beautiful things about the human body, you can build a muscle by using it. You know, things like that aren't built into a lot of our uh, the rest of our human experience. If I have a V6 engine in my car, it's not going to t- turn into a V8 if I go out and drive it hard. But but God can build something in us when we are using something, when, when, when things are under, under pressure. God, Paul understands that... When we, under, when we undergo things, tribulations and difficulties, that God makes us strong. It's like a tempering of steel or a tempering of glass, making something harder and stronger because it is under pressure. And that once we have undergone, uh, built perseverance, perseverance brings about proven character. He's talking about something that changes within us. Our very character, our nature, starts to be transformed we start to be uh, made into a better person, okay? God works within us to change our very character. And proven character ends up doing what? Building hope. That because our nature, because our character has changed, we have a better capacity to look favorably into the future it changes who we are. And hope doesn't disappoint. You see, he moves all of this in a direction saying that what God does in you will not be disappointing to you. The perseverance that you build, the character that you build, the the hope that you end up with, none of this is going to be disappointing because God's love is shed abroad within your hearts. It is something that actually transforms us. Now you might think, well that's, I mean, that seems like an odd way for God to get us to a better place. But that's the way God works. I mean, it's even the way God worked in Jesus Himself. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, verse 10 of Hebrews, that it was fitting for the author of our salvation to be made perfect through suffering. And it's really an odd way for us to think about our Lord and Savior, but that's exactly what the Scriptures tell us. That when Jesus came and lived among us, God brought him to completion in the person who he was through the sufferings that he endured. And it's no different for us. That God is doing something in us that is transformational. He wants to make us more than what we are now. And the thing that he uses to do that are the sufferings that we have, but it's all done out of His love. It's an extraordinary love that God has for us, and it makes us into extraordinary people. I like the word extraordinary. I'll tell you why. It's really just a combination of two words. Extra, just meaning beyond, more than, and ordinary, beyond the ordinary. God has an extraordinary love for you and me, and when God gives his extraordinary love, he does an extraordinary work within us. And the thought that I offer to you is that this world is desperately in need of extraordinary people who offer an extraordinary love to it. God's love for us is beyond the ordinary. Now, we we know love in a lot of ordinary ways, don't we? I love my best friend because she really makes me happy and she's kind to me. I I love my spouse because he's good to me and and he makes my life better i love tacos because well who doesn't love tacos we love we, we we and we use this word in all kinds of these different ways but they're ordinary ways for us and usually they are way it's an expression of a response that we have when that that From something that causes a a good reaction from us, okay. Love is nothing more than a response. But see, God has an extraordinary love for us. It's not ordinary. I was listening recently to uh, a a popular speaker who was contending uh, unfavorably toward the idea of unconditional Love. In fact, he went so far as to say that the term unconditional love is actually a very recent uh, development in the course of human history. Now, I'm not that much of a student of terms that have been used in human history, so I can't tell you whether or not that's true. What I do seriously doubt is that the idea of unconditional love is a new development in the course of human history. And I really don't go along with the idea that unconditional love is a bad thing. I will grant the point that was being made which simply was that when we take other people for granted it typically leads to unhealthy relationships, which it does. Uh, there, there's not that there is something to be said about uh, working to, keep, to maintain, uh, to foster an ongoing love response from other people. That's not a bad thing. But ask yourself this. Does God have an unconditional love for you and me? Think of this question. If you just look at the history that God had with the people called Israel? Did He love them only when they were being obedient? Or did He love them always? You see, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, it's recorded in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, where where the prophet says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And The reality is that God loved them even when they were being rebellious, God loved them even when they were turning away to false gods. Did God punish them? Did God discipline them? Sure he did. But even that is an act of love. God's love for them was not based on whether or not they were being obedient. He loved them anyway. And the same is true for you and me. You see, that's an extraordinary kind of love. And it's the kind of love that He invites you and me to receive from Him and to learn to give to the world. Turn with me, if you would, over to the, word, to the back of your Bible, to the little letter of First John. First John chapter 4, there's a passage there that I would love for us to read through. Um, way toward the back of the Bible. If you have trouble finding those little letters, just turn to Revelation and then start flipping backward. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John. 1st John chapter 4, I want to begin reading at verse 7 because I think there's a passage here that really helps to cement this. John, another apostle of the Lord, writes to the church and says here, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That that statement is so familiar to us, that God is love. It is foundational to God's character. It is a core part of who He is. A.W. Tozer once observed that everything that God does is done out of His love. It's a powerful observation. Everything that God does is done out of His love. His discipline, His judgments, His mercy, everything that God does is grounded in his love because his character is love. And that's why John can so confidently say that the the person who does not love doesn't know God because to know God is to know who he is at at, at the core of his being, and that is love. He goes on and writes in verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That kind of sounds like unconditional love to me. If we would have kept reading... In Romans chapter 5, we would have heard Paul offer these words where he says, for while we were yet helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did you catch the wording there? For the ungodly. He goes on and says, "For, for for a righteous person one would hardly dare to die, though perhaps for a good person one might die. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that merited love? No. I mean, the whole point is to say that it's unmerited love. That, that God looked upon us in an unloving state and says, I'm, I love you anyway. I love you so much that I'm going to give my precious Son, my one and only begotten precious Son, who will give his life to atone for your sin. I want to offer a thought that, and I, and I don't mean to say this as if, uh, as if to pro- provoke some kind of debate in your mind, and so please don't catch me afterward and go, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not wanting to do that. But I had to think about what might be the most remarkable thing about Jesus Christ. And I know that's, that's kind of a radical thought. I mean, be, you know, what could be the most remarkable thing about the most remarkable person who ever lived in, on this earth? And, and so I'm not trying to, you know, it's not to create a debate, but in my opinion, perhaps the most remarkable thing about Jesus is not the way that he understood God's law, the way that he was able to uh, be so tender with those who were broken and yet so, so stern with those whose hearts were hard. It, it was not the way that he carried himself. And, or, I mean, all of these things are remarkable, but to me the most remarkable thing about Jesus was his willingness to stretch out his hands and allow them to be nailed to a cross for a sinner, like me. I can't get my mind around that. But that's what he did. That is extraordinary love. And it's that extraordinary love that God sheds abroad in our hearts. Abdu Murray is a former Muslim converted to Christianity. He's an attorney by profession and he is a masterful apologist for the Christian faith. I heard him recently offer this thought and I won't get the wording exactly right, but the, I, the thought that he offered is this, that in the person of Jesus Christ, the greatest being demonstrated the greatest virtue in the greatest possible manner. The greatest being, God, the creator of all things, the greatest being, demonstrated the greatest virtue, love, in the greatest possible way. Self-sacrifice. God brings all of that together in Jesus Christ that my friends is love and John in 1st John chapter 4 goes on to say in verse 11 beloved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has seen God at any time if we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. It is brought to completion. It is made completely manifest to the world through us. You see the thought that the, the fact is that we are not only invited to receive with awe and wonder the fact that God loved us through the person of Jesus Christ. But we are to so open our hearts before God that that same love will pervade us and transform us so that we can take that extraordinary love and then offer it to the world. And as I look at our society... And as I look at our society, especially in this past year, it just strikes me once again how desperately our world needs an extraordinary love. And it also reminds me how far we have to go before that love is perfected in us. Mother Teresa, perhaps I should say Saint Teresa, is quoted as um, making a statement of of something that was called the the paradox of love. I I can't confirm that this quote uh, is originally from her so I just have to offer it with that uh, qualification. But it is said that Mother Teresa spoke about the paradox of love in this very simple statement by saying that if you love until it hurts, the hurt goes away and only love is left. That's a powerful thought. If you love until it hurts, the hurt goes away and all you have left is love. It's hard to imagine anyone greater than Mother Teresa, who loved humanity until it hurt. And the reality for her was that the only thing that was left was love. It's just love. My prayer for us at this Christmas time is that we will be able to look into the face of the Christ child and be amazed one more time at how deeply God loves us. But also that we will be challenged to so open our hearts to that deep love that the extraordinary love of God will come alive within us and that we will be able to take that love to this lost and broken world by God's mercy may it be true would you pray with me gracious father it is hard for us to comprehend the depth of your love And, Lord, we so often find it difficult to be able to love with the same depth and in the same manner that we are loved by you. And yet you have called us exactly to that thing. So, Father, I pray for us. I pray for us once again to have hearts that are broken, broken before you, that we might be amazed at the love that you have for us, that we might receive that love one more time, that that love would so overflow within our hearts, that we would carry it recklessly and abundantly and without reservation to this broken world around us, that Christ truly would be alive for the people of our world, not only in this Christmas time, but in all the days to come. Lord, may you have your way with us. May we be yours. Fill us with your love. In Christ's name, amen.
0: We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.